Let's pray. O Lord, where we are hungry, may your word nourish us. And where we are weak, may the power of your word give us strength to carry on. Amen. Amen. The scripture passage this morning is from Isaiah chapter 44, and it will be uh, select verses from this chapter. Uh, We begin at uh, Isaiah 44, verse 6. This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let him foretell what will come. Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who speak who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. In verse 12, the blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. Then verse 16, Half of the wood he burns in the fire, over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, ah, I am warm, I see the fire. From the rest, he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, save me, you are my god. They know nothing, they understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see, and their minds closed so they cannot understand. And then verse 21. Remember these things, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. I have made you, you are my servant, O Israel. I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, O earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests, and all your trees, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who foils the signs of the false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited, 
of the towns of Judah, they shall be built, and of their ruins I will restore them, who says to the watery deep, be dry, and I will dry up your streams, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and I will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. This is God's word for us today. Amen. Amen. A number of years ago in a middle school chapel, I wanted to visually represent faith. And so I enlisted the volunteer of a brave middle school boy to do a trust fall in front of his peers. He stood on a table with his uh, on a table, and behind him was nothing. And so in just a moment, I was going to ask him to just stay stiff as a board and fall back, okay, trust fall. And then I said, you know what, this isn't, this isn't risky enough. So I got a, t a chair and put a chair on the table and, and had a teacher hold the chair so it wouldn't slide, it's all safe, and then had him get on the chair. So approximately, he was about this high up, okay? Now it's, there were no steps there, it was, but it was about this high, and then the, the floor came out from here. Point is, he was pretty high. So he's, he's up there, and I said, wait, one more thing. Look behind you. Do you see anything? There was nobody behind him. And then I said, now we're going to put on a blindfold. We put on the blindfold, and I said, now do not fall back until I say go, all right? And uh, while I was talking to him, I silently motioned to a few guy middle school teachers. One of them goes to this church, it's a strapping lad, and uh, silently the middle school teachers came up and the boy did not hear them. They were quiet and they stood right behind him ready to catch him. And I said to this boy, do you trust in me that I will not harm you in any way? And from up there blindfolded, he said, yes. I said, do you believe that your safety is of utmost concern for me? He said, yes. I noticed he was shaking. I was like, oh my. He was shaking. I said, now, when I count to three, I want you to fall back stiff as a board because that will prove that you have faith in me. And he's shaking. I counted to three. And stiff as a board, he fell back into the sure arms of his teachers. And uh, it, was a, it was a wonderful a display of faith. I asked him later, I said, I noticed you were shaking up there. And he said to me, I didn't know there were teachers there to catch me. He thought I was going to catch him. So, <laughs> oh, my. Friends. In terms of the biggest issues of life, it is you and I that are at that height. It is you and I that need to trust in something. Actually, it's not just you and I. It's every person on the face of this earth. They need to put their faith in something. We often call it, instead of a trust fall, we often call it a leap of faith. What are you going to ultimately trust in to provide for you, 
to guide you and to give you hope in life. Well, Isaiah 44 is all about this idea of who are you going to trust in ultimately with your life. And we see clearly from the passage this simple faith. When we all have to take this leap of faith, that God alone is trustworthy. God alone is trustworthy. And uh, the way it's explained in this text, though, is kind of interesting. So, so stay with me here on it. Now, first, the text asks, is there any God besides me? And it begins with the greatness of God. And uh, 44, verse 6, is just packed with simply the character of God. Let me just read it one more time. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king, redeemer, Lord, that's all caps, Lord, that is Yahweh, the great I am, Lord, almighty, first and last, this is that God is self-existent. No one created God. He is self-existent, and He is eternal. And apart from me, there is no God. This is what we would call monotheism. There, there is one and only one God. It's packed in that one verse. Is there any other God besides me? Um, this is uh, the world's shortest sermon point because I just have one comment to make right now, and it is this. Whenever you're reading the Bible, it is good for you to think, what am I learning about God in this passage? What is God teaching me about who He is? Now, we will, of course, come back to the character of God, but we're going to move on now uh, to the second point already. Okay? Second, what are idols? What are idols? The foolishness of idols. Uh, now, I thought, uh, what, are the, what would be, I was imagining here, what would be the top five reasons to worship idols if you lived back in, in the society in which Isaiah lived? Okay, so uh, this is what I came up with. I couldn't reference anything to this back then, but what would be the top five reasons to worship idols? Well, first of all, other people are doing it. Um, they did believe that the spirit of the, the, spirit of, of the God inhabited the idol, uh, could be afraid of the consequences for not worshiping the idol. Uh, gods are, the gods are kind of like humans, so we could kind of relate to them, and maybe we can control them and manipulate them like we can control other people. Um, and as humans, we like something we can see. So, I mean, we can see an idol. Okay, so let's just say those are the top five reasons for worshiping idols. Now, what are reasons not to worship the idols? Here's what Isaiah says, essentially. You, you can, well, I'll summarize it for you. Are you ready? It doesn't make sense. Think about it. It doesn't make sense. I thought of the, uh, uh, the slogan, what can Brown do for you? All right? So what can Brown do for you? I'll tell you what they can do. They can get your packages to you on time. What they can't do is offer eternal hope for your life, right? So, yeah, they could do something. So, Isaiah is essentially asking, uh, what can wood do for you? What could wood 
do for you? Yeah, it can, it can warm you. It can, you can use it to cook your food. Yeah, wood, wood can do a lot of things, but whoa, 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 whoa. Let's slow down on this. It is going to provide some hope for my life. Now, if I were to ask you right now why we shouldn't worship idols... Okay, what would you say? And I know what most of you would say. And to be honest, I would say the same thing. You would say, you know, in church last week, we said the Ten Commandments, and you know there's that commandment that says, don't worship idols, or don't worship carved images, or anything else in creation, right? So the Ten Commandments says, doesn't worship idols. But... What does Isaiah do in this passage? Isaiah, although of course he, he follows the Ten Commandments, Isaiah does not use the commandment to get his point across. What he uses is human reason. Uh, this is often called natural law. Now, it wasn't called that in Isaiah's day, but natural law. And uh, natural law essentially is making arguments for morality as opposed to the, a direct appeal to the Bible. Now, because we live in God's created order, it would make sense that God's commands make reasoned sense, right? And so there are ways in which, in addition to the commands, we can just use, use our, our redeemed reason to, to think about this. So, for instance, the Bible says do not murder, right? Um, but if we just think about this, the value that humans have value, and that is completely just unjust to, to kill someone else, I mean, that's wrong. And the murderer should, should pay some kind of price as well. And this is acknowledged across the face of the earth. Whether they believe in the Bible or not, humans reason this is wrong. Now, let me take uh, a little bit more of a controversial moral argument to make the point. The value of a preborn child. Now, I can show you from the Bible why a preborn child has value. I can show you that from the Bible. Uh, but people that have uh, been in this conversation, and Christians that have been in this conversation, have also developed many reasoned arguments why, why logically a pre-born child is a human and needs to be valued. And so, as I have thought about this issue, I've, I've thought about what does the Bible say, and I've also listened to a lot of reasons as well. Now, before I go on, let me just say that at the end of the day, God's Word needs to call the shots in our life. And I need to submit to God even if I may not understand something. So I'm not saying that reason is king, but I am saying that very often we can use reason to understand God's path for us. That, this is exactly what I, Isaiah does, and I will show it, show it to you uh, right now. So. What are, what are the reasons not to worship idols? Isaiah says, it doesn't make any sense. So first of all, Isaiah starts with the person making the idol, and he describes the person 
Hello, this is just a person. It is an artist, yes, but not a superhero, not some miracle-working person. It's just a craftsman that is doing an art project. Nothing, nothing more. Now, something happens that's a, it's kind of funny. You don't need to laugh. It's just kind of like, oh, interesting, okay? Uh, verse 8, um, it says, no, no, not verse 8, sorry. Uh, uh, I put the wrong verse number down, but I'm going to find it. There it is. It's verse 12. The blacksmith takes a tool and he works, and then it says, he forges it with the might of his arm. So the craftsman is creator of idol, and he forges it with his arm. Do you know in the Bible often it talks about the strong arm of the Lord? Okay, strong arm of the Lord. So here we have, oh, this, this guy, he's creating something with a strong arm. And then what does the very next line say? And then he gets hungry. And he loses his strength and he has to take a nap. <laughs> it says, he, he drinks no water and he grows faint. Ah. Oh. I need to relax. And Isaiah is saying, and you're going to trust this guy? You're going to put your, your faith, your leap of faith in what this guy does? So, in the end, Isaiah says, there is zero benefit for trusting this craftsman. And Isaiah even goes further. He says, it is shameful to put your faith in that. Now, so Isaiah says, the craftsman, okay, it's a person, it's an artist, and nothing more. Then Isaiah says this, it's, hello, it's a piece of wood. Do you get this? Just, just, just wood, that's it. Now, um, I didn't read this verse earlier, so I want to read this now. Um, and you're not going to get this from anyone except for me, okay? Isaiah as I've read the Bible, it's clear. Isaiah knows trees more than any other prophet. Okay, he just does. And the reason why I know this is because he, mention, he mentions species of trees more than the other prophets. So in verse 14, Isaiah, all of a sudden, he gets into his tree groove, and he goes, he cuts down cedars, or perhaps he took a cypress or an oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest, or plants a pine, and the rain makes it grow. So you got all these different species of trees. Uh, and then he says, these trees, it's just wood, and the tree is totally dependent on where it's planted, the climate, the moisture. Yeah, trees are great, but it's not like there's some supernatural thing. It's just a piece of wood. Um, and then Isaiah says, Really? You're left, what do you do with the leftovers? You just burn it. You burn it to get warm or to cook food. Again, it is a piece of wood. And basically, Isaiah is saying this. You know how the, the ancient people thought the Spirit of God inhabited the idol? Isaiah says, look at it. Is its face moving? No, its eyes are plastered over. Basically, Isaiah says, zero evidence that any spirit of the gods is inhabiting this chunk of wood. Zero evidence. 
Are you going to place all your hopes and dreams in a piece of wood? So Isaiah, using human reason, completely dismantles the whole system of worshiping idols. And he does it by looking at the craftsmen and the material as well. And so we move to what is yet to come, God's redemptive plan. So what's happened in this passage is God alone is trustworthy. Here's God's character. Here's what you should not trust in, the idols. And then it moves in to God alone is trustworthy. God has a redemptive plan for his people. So if you look at uh, verse 21, these common themes come back and says, Remember these things, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. I have made you. I will not forget you. Okay, why should you trust in God? Because God is the creator. Secondly, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Why should you trust in God? God is a redeeming God. He forgives your sins. He restores relationships and brings you hope. That's why you should trust in God. And what does that lead to? Verse 23, sing for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done this. And then it says, burst into song, you mountains, you forests and you trees, essentially praise the Lord. So Isaiah says, you know what? Trees are, trees are good for fuel and fire and warmth, okay? And also, when you go out into creation and you look at the mountains, and even, it doesn't say here, but the stars, or if you look at the tall, majestic trees, and the moment you go, wow, that is to direct you to the one who created it all. So the wow is to lead us to worship, to worshiping God. When God's creation accomplishes its created purpose, it's pointing to the creator. And the creator is the one and only the one in whom we trust. Now, let's take the role of the skeptic for a moment. They would say, well, you know, it's not just a chunk of wood. It's, it's uh, the spirit within the God. And, and uh, okay, I know you can't prove the spirit's in there because it's just a chunk of wood. So then the, the, the uh, idol worshiper will say, except we do have prophets. We, ha we do have diviners that, that speak on, the, on behalf of the God. So, hey, we've got that. We've, we've got that. And uh, Isaiah actually addresses that, addresses that argument. Uh, he says, uh, verse 25, who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise and, and turns it into nonsense. Uh, what's going on here? Did the gods create? No. Now, in the myths, maybe the gods were involved in creation, okay, whatever, but the gods are not self-existent and eternal. And the, the gods did not create. They were part of creation, and then maybe 
creation came from them according to their myths, but they are not the creator, and they are not, they're not eternal. Even if they did exist, they're at such a different level than the, than the one true God. Now, of course, the Bible's view of this is either A, the gods, well, the gods don't exist, or there's demonic power that's operating in the world. This is, this is what the Bible would, would say towards this. Um, and basically, Isaiah says, you know your prophets? Let's think about them. They're, they're false. And in, in this way, do your prophets have a redemptive, loving relationship with the people? No. Uh, did the, do your prophets of your gods, have they given you covenant law? No. Your prophets, have they redeemed you? No. Think about this. In the ancient world, how did people get rescued? They did by having an army that was stronger than another army. That, that's what happened, okay? We need to remember how, how radical the exodus was. How radical. What happened? The weaker people group got rescued from Egypt, and it had nothing to do with them. It had to do with God's salvation. This is why the people of Israel can say, do you know what? We can point to history where our God redeemed us and rescued us, and our God has a plan. Our prophets speak the truth. They speak the truth. So what is God's plan? The last, uh, last verse. Last verse. Who says of Cyrus, who says of Cyrus, friends, Isaiah lived in the 8th century B.C. During Isaiah's time, he prophesied that the people of God would go into exile in Egypt. Not only did he prophesy in the 8th century that, the, that they would go into exile in Egypt, he also prophesied that a king would let them out of exile. That king existed mid-6th century, and Isaiah named him. Talk about God has a plan. He has a plan. The idol worshipers, there, there's no plan there. But Isaiah says, God has a plan, and he's going to use a king, and what is this king going to do? King Cyrus, which is going to come 100-plus years after me, says, I will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. When God's people went into exile, Jerusalem was destroyed. That meant the nation was over. That meant, from all appearances, Israel as a people group was, was kind of done. But God says, no, I have a plan. I have a plan for my people, and I'm going to use this king to bring them back, to rebuild Jerusalem, and to rebuild the temple, which 
is, in a sense, the footstool of God on earth. It is God's special presence on earth, the temple. And as Isaiah often does, you'll see this throughout Isaiah, Isaiah will give a future prophecy that not only is met in the relative short term, but it's pointing to a much bigger redemptive purpose of God as well. So what is happening here, friends, is that Isaiah is prophesying that God is going to reestablish his people. Why is this so important? Not only to help the people at the time, but this paves the way for Jesus. So that when Jesus comes, he comes in the reestablished kingdom of Israel. And who is Jesus? Fully man and fully God. Jesus is kind of like the temple with them. He is God's presence with them. And then Jesus comes, and in history, okay, not just some mythical story, but in history, Jesus dies and rises again to save his people. Jesus becomes the Passover lamb in this redemptive arc of human history that God has, that Jesus saves his people. And Jesus' first coming has a purpose, but Jesus leaves and his kingdom spreads throughout the earth and Jesus is going to come again, and when he comes again, what's going to happen? The new Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be restored, but this time in greater glory, and this time without a temple because God's presence is perfectly with us. And so you see here in this this chapter of Isaiah, when, when the Bible says God alone is trustworthy, don't trust anything else, God is also saying, not only have I created you, but I have a plan to save. I have a plan to save you as individuals and you as a people. My people I desire to save. And so, friends, I ask you today, who is your rock? Who is your rock? Isaiah 44 this time, verse 8, there is no rock, I know not one. Who is your rock? Who are you going to trust to catch you in the leap of faith that all humans have? Do you know that it can be very tempting in our world to listen to the world's message and interestingly, it just so happens in our current culture, what is the world's message? What is the trending message? It is to trust in yourself, to trust in what you feel. You are the master of your life. And then, sadly, it can also be you're, you need to trust in other people as well, ultimately. I mean, we all need to trust in people. I'm talking about ultimately, what do you trust in? Yourself. And then some of us are identified what other people say about us. Isn't it interesting that in this ancient text, Isaiah did not merely talk about the folly of worshiping a block of wood, but he also addressed the fact of trusting in the person that makes the block of wood, and why? Because people are frail. People are frail. You and I, you know it. I mean, it's obvious that we are frail. 
So why would we put our ultimate trust in ourselves? That's a very scary proposition of faith. We had a call to worship this morning. And this call to worship is also a call to, to faith, a call to trust, and a call to life. And so I'd like to review that call to worship one more time. Isaiah 45, verses 18 and 19. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty. He formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said of Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, I, the Lord, speak truth, and I declare what is right. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we are so thankful, eternally grateful for the revelation of your word. And please help each one of us here today and in the listening of this message, help us, O oh God, to embrace the truth of your word and embrace the trustworthiness of you as God. You, O oh Lord, know the anxieties, the worries, the concerns of our hearts. And we pray, O oh Lord, that we, must, that we might trust in you more deeply to fall into your loving and redemptive arms. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.